Here's a place where all of us can be safe. Our stories of transformation can be safe, and all the things we want to research are safe here. This is Safe Space with Cheyenne. I'm really excited you're here, and I hope you stick around for a while, because I've got a lot to show you before I leave Earth. I love you guys. Hello, all of my Safe Space friends. I hope you're having a wonderful day, and thank you again for joining us for another episode, because today I have Jonathan Royal. He is a world-renowned hypnotist on a list of things that we're going to get into from hypnotherapy, NLP, stage hypnosis, mind control, what is it, mentalism I think is what it's called. Um, but first he's going to come on and tell us a little bit of his story, how he got into it, and then he's going to give us some wonderful tips um, with how to transform our own mind. So welcome in Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me on, Shai. Um, it's going to be a bit of a weird one. I'll, um, I'll warn viewers and listeners in advance. Some of the, because you want me to kind of say how I got into this, I'll just say up front that some of it sounds batshit crazy. And some of it sounds stranger than fiction, which is why part of the reason I put together a website where there's nothing for sale. It's not one of these that are trying to get your email address, nothing like that. It's purely informational, where there is photographic evidence, video evidence, <laughs> and links to third-party websites like government websites to back up the truth and reality of what or no doubt all the things that will get covered in the next um, hour, two hours, whatever. And that's located at magicalguru.co.uk. That's M-A-G-I-C-A-L-G-U-R-U.co.uk. I mentioned that up front because, well, I was born on a circus to start with. And that, when I tell people that, they go, you what? Um... <laughs> You can see the embarrassing photographs of me on that website when I started performing at the age of three and a bit as Flap the Clown, the youngest circus clown in, certainly in England and Europe, may have been in the world at the time, back in 1978, but it's not the youngest in the world now because that record's well and truly been smashed since. But yeah, back in, I was born in 1975, parents travelling with the circus, at the age of three and a bit, I made my stage debut as Flap the Clown. And my dad was a circus clown under the name Tizzy the Clown, but also he did a Yogi Fakir. That's F-A-K-I-R, Fakir. I didn't swear. Fakir Act, which is um, laying on beds of nails, going up ladders of daggers, fire eating, uh, dancing on broken glass, that weird kind of Yogi Fakir type of stuff. And he did that under the name The Amazing Etna. And then my mum, under the name um, Marianne Montana, was doing a sharpshooting, whip-cracking, cowgirl-type act. And that, that's what I was born into. That was my perceived normality when, when I was really, really, yeah. really young. But it's somewhat bizarre and weird to people who are not... It's like anything. What seems normal to me, or was normal to me, can be odd to outsiders in the same way as what seems normal to you might seem odd to me. Uh, and perception is a key thing that will probably run through the things that we talk about today because perception shape our state of mind and also shape our beliefs and the way we react to every situation in life. So that's where I was born. 
uh, and how I started out performing. But my mum, my mum didn't come from a show business background, and she wanted me to have a normal. And for listeners, I'm doing the old speech marks in the air thing because what is normal? Mm-hmm. Again, it's a perception thing. But what she perceived to be normal upbringing would mean getting a house and me going to one school rather than travelling town to town with the circus. So by the time I was six, um, she did get a house. My dad carried travelling with the circus, and I only went and performed in the evenings when they were nearby, at weekends and in school holidays, because I was supposed to be having this normal uh, upbringing. Which, if normal upbringing means going to one school in one place and then getting victimised and uh, psychologically tortured by the teachers on a daily basis, then, yeah, I had a normal. Um, because at that when, when I stopped travelling all the time and went to the school, I was still appearing in the media and stuff. And you can see those cuttings at that website I mentioned before. There was one when I was six uh, in the Daily Mirror newspaper in England. And the headline was Alex, which is my birth name, but I'm better known as Jonathan Raw now. Alex, the circus six hit. And it showed me as Flap the Clown with a silly wig, big red nose and all that. But it also made mention of the fact that, you know, I earned money doing this. And I think the teachers found out that on a kind of pro rata basis, hourly rate, as it were, I was getting paid more than them and ignored the fact that I wasn't working as many hours as them and just jealousy, whatever, got into it. All I know is they made my life a living hell, and that was the start of the journey towards hypnosis and all the mind stuff because by the time, by the time I was... Took until I was nearly eight for me to be able to convince my mum to get me to go to a different school because in the village where we were at that time there was only one school and she didn't have a vehicle of her own for travelling. But I was like, my life's a living bloody hell. The teachers victimising me, it's just a bloody nightmare. And to make matters worse, they also picked on me because I couldn't hear properly because my left ear. Um, I forgot to mention I had a few traumatic incidents when I was um, before I started at a so-called normal school. One of those significantly was at the age of four and a bit. I was playing hide and seek with the other kids on the circus. And I went and hid under what I didn't realise at the time was the lion tamer's caravan trailer. And chained up underneath it was a baby puma. Yes, P-U-M-A, puma wildcat, which found it very bizarre that I climbed underneath uh, with it and started pouring at me and chewing away, and ultimately my uh, left ear got ripped off and had to be surgically reattached. I've got... I'm going to roll my head down, and you'll see kind of dents and things. What appear to be dents, well, they're scars. Um, from claw marks from the puma, and I've got claw marks down my back. And I, I, I was not far off being dead, basically. Um, fortunately, the lion tamer found that, me, got the... Do you consider that a near-death experience, then? I, I certainly... I, I, I do, in so much as I, I have this, albeit that all memory is reconstructed. Every time you apparently remember something, it becomes less and less accurate, is what the science shows. But I do have, like, this image that comes to mind 
but it's certainly got emotional charge to me. Um, but yeah, I feel like I can almost see an image of this happening to me, like I'd left my body. That makes sense. Yeah. Which I've read a lot of people who've had near-death experiences have had similar uh, things. Now I don't. I'm not saying that I, I left my body in an astral protection way. In fact, I think that's probably quite crazy when the scientific evidence shows it can be a, a psychological disconnect. But by the same token, uh, I don't dismiss the fact that we're all ultimately energy. And when this body dies, does that mean? the essence, the real, the soul, the the mind, the consciousness, whatever you want to call it, well, you can't destroy energy. Conventional science tells us that. It can only change form. What it changes into, I don't have those answers. We're but anyway, yeah, I do. Yeah, it's... Ugh, don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to claim to know answers that I don't have. Um, but yeah, that was a near-death experience. And then in the category of trauma... Uh, but not near death. Well, apparently it could have been if they'd really not liked me. Um, when I was about five, we, we had the... In England, we have a tea company. Um, tea as in the drink. Um, called Brook Bond. And they make a brand of tea called PG Tips. And people in America or not in England can go on YouTube. And if you type in PG Tips... Tea advert chimpanzees. You'll see the adverts that they used to run in the 70s and the 80s that quite correctly in the early 90s got scrapped because they realised, you know, <laughs> this is not really what chimpanzees should be doing, dressing up like human beings and, um, and snaring peanut butter under the lips so the chimps would be doing that. So you get mm. trying to dislodge the peanut butter, but that would give the lip movements that they could then dub on human voices to make these comedy adverts for their tea. Well, those performing chimpanzees came on tour with Gandhi's circus, the circus we were with. And so twice a day, six days a week, when we were doing shows, what I'm about to describe happened. So 12 times a week on average. Um, namely, that was that as I was going with my dad to get to the ring doors or to the side of the stage if we were in the theatre, uh, to get ready for our next bit in the show, the chimpanzees had just done their act with a trainer, Billy Day, and there'd already be an act on stage. So they're leaving, going back to the dressing rooms or the caravans, and we're getting uh, ready, and our paths would cross. And every day, uh, Billy Day would turn to my dad and say, hey, Tiz, because he was known as Tizzy the Clown, and my dad would turn and go, you all right, Billy? And that very moment, that very second, that very instant that they were distracted, whichever of the chimpanzees was nearest to me used to clout me around the side of the head. And I'd end up crying, apparently, going, Dad, he's done it again, or they've done it again. Now, I've learned since, apparently, that chimps, could I, I was like five at the time, so I'd have been roughly the same height as them, but it turns out that chimps have got enough strength that if it hadn't liked me and it was being aggressive, it'd probably knock me unconscious. Um, so it appears I am expertly advised that they were just being playful because I was the same size. But to me, that didn't make sense. To me, it was another traumatic thing. Those are the kind of weird shit things that were happening to me before I went into the normal environment of school, but then I started getting bullied and victimised by the teachers. So sorry, now we're back on track. 
I'm nearly eight, and my mum manages to get a house in a different town, and uh, I start at a different school. And lo and behold, the nightmare of teachers victimising and bullying me ends. It just that's it. stops like that. In fact, the teachers couldn't be more supportive, helpful, encouraging, even when, um, even when I appeared in the media, they were like supportive, encouraging. All the teachers at St Luke's Primary School in Haywood, um, from circa 1982, um, 83 onwards, if you ever hear or see this, thank you. All oh, fantastic. People can probably guess by my tone of voice, there's a but. But the pupils, not all of them, but a fair number. They were the ones that responded when stuff appeared in the media, when they found out I was from a circus family, when they saw the pictures of me dressed up as a clown. Also, I keep my hair short now, partly tied the fact I'm going bald in certain areas, uh, if, I, if I be truthful. But when it grows long, as you'll see on the pictures on that website um, that I mentioned, very ginger, very ginger hair, which in itself, target for bullying. Um... Not wonderful hearing in the left ear. Um, all I needed really was a pair of glasses, which I did get a few years later. And, you know, I kind of had that full set for being a victim of bullying. Uh, and then you add on to that, the fact that it was a circus clown son and I was being seen as a clown and performing. And I just, I, I got mainly verbally, but also occasional physical attacks. But, I mean... It doesn't particularly matter as such. You know, whoever said sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me was obviously talking complete and utter bullshit. Is anyone um, watching or listening who's experienced such will, will already know. Um, what did that do to your mental health at such a young age? It, it, was just, it, it was, excuse, try not to swear. Um, yeah, I, I will use the word shit rather a lot later because my book's called Shit Gnosis. Um, but it was effing, I'll just say that, everyone knows what word. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was terrible. Um, so bad, in fact, that because it was over a repeated time, and as I say, words are like weapons, it's like death by a million paper cuts. Um, by the time I was around at 11, in that region, you know, don't hold me down, please. If somebody backtracks and works out, it was just before, it was just as uh, the one bit I remember clearly is it just as we were getting to the final couple of months of being at what they call primary school in England, uh, and just about to start our, um, what we call secondary school here. Um, so yeah, around the 11, 11 and a half. Or, around that anyway it got it got so bad that um i basically one day decided in winter time which is like in america you call it fall when it gets darker quicker to go and lie down in the middle of the busiest main road in haywood figuring that basically we're all over and done with pretty quick without being too graphic. And I waited for this traffic gap in the traffic so I could get into the road. 
I got into the road, lay down, and no traffic came on, which was a bit odd, because this was a road that was always known to be a monumental nightmare to cross. And it seemed like forever. Now, you see, since this, which I'll go back to in a second, I've, I've discovered from personal experience that time is a perceptional thing. It's a construct. Because... For example, you can bump into a friend you've not seen for many years and you go, hey, shall we grab a coffee? And you go for a coffee. The next thing you do, you look at your watch and you realise like 90 minutes has gone by, but it feels like you've only been there five or ten minutes. And conversely, you can perhaps go in for a job appraisal at work and be tense and nervous and it comes to an end and you feel like you've been in there for 30 minutes or 40 minutes and you walk out and you've only been in there like seven and a half minutes, <laughs> which just goes to show that it's perceptional. It's a lot to do with the mind. So I genuinely and honestly can't tell you how long I, I was actually laid down there. It felt like forever, but it couldn't have been, logically. Um, but I got to a point where... I got fed up and I stood up and started making my way back to the sidewalk, as you call it in the States, pavement for our European viewers and listeners. And one foot, my first foot got onto the pavement. I heard this whoosh and I felt this draft and I turned my head and I could see this massive articulated lorry just whirled past. I just missed it by getting onto the pavement and then there was, vans, cars, more lorries, and it was it was the main road that I always knew it to be. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I well, shit myself, um, which becomes even more relevant when we get to my book later. It's one of the inspirations to it being called Shit Gnosis. Um, but there was also a moment of clarity in that extreme fear um the fight flight freeze and shite um as it's called um response of the sympathetic nervous system the stress response the fear response you either fight to live another day flight run away like the clappers shite because that's the body's natural reaction in the hope that the stench would um cause the animal trying to attack you to run off because it wanted to get away from the stench or freeze which is like the rabbit in the headlights do I fight or do I run uh, 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 a state of confusion and disorientation that probably is going to lead to it being too late you're dead but on, on this occasion I managed to get to the pavement and it's more a case of what the hell what the hell just happened there thank god uh, uh, um, but a moment of clarity where things slow down, where I thought there's got to be a better way than this to deal with this not feeling good enough, so the, it the impact. Like you got off the pavement and you're like, oh. Recording stopped. Sorry, oh. my recording stopped really quick. Hold on. That's okay, but just. So it wasn't like you got off the pavement and you're like, oh. I almost got hit by a car. I actually want to live. Like, did you feel, when you say a moment of clarity, did you feel like all that suffering that you felt had lifted for a minute and you could, like, see, see um, or feel better? I really was, wanted to pull that it, apart for it me. It was all It was all at the same time. So there's that whoosh, backdraft, see, 
bloody hell, split second earlier and it would have happened, it hasn't happened, still here. Um, is it some kind of sign or signal? I'm not really interested in any manner, by the way. Um, and then just this thought entered my head that there must just there's got to, there must be a better way. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know what that better way would be right then, but that was a pivotal moment in what led to being my career, uh, as you'll see in a minute. So I, in later years as well, um, it's like in that moment I realised perhaps things aren't quite as bad as I thought, although I really felt down because of the repetition of you're not good enough, you're an idiot, you, you, you're gingerhead, you can't hear properly, you're a clown, and mm-hmm. these things being twisted in a negative fashion. Um, I mean, for example, if viewers and listeners go searching for survivors of suicide survivors um, or people who jumped off or out of multi-storey buildings in particular mm-hmm. now some the survivors some of them may have life-changing injuries but what they all consistently seem to say is the people who survived whether they were jumping off or from a multi-story building is that what pushed them to do it was they felt that there were way too many problems to deal with in life and yet the moment they jumped out of or off that multi-story building and the hurtling down towards the floor. They said they had a moment of clarity and it all became clear that they only actually had one problem. And that one problem was they just jumped off or out of a multi-storey building. Um, so it's kind of akin to that. So I I want, I still wanted answers, a solution, a way to escape them, the, 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 the negativity and... and uh, and all those things. And one thing I'd done that I'd missed out is that by the time I was uh, 10, I'd refused, uh, I'd started to refuse to perform as Flap the Clown because in my head, being Flap the Clown was part of the reasoning why I was getting attacked uh, and bullied. Well, I by then got addicted to an audience clapping at the right time, laughing at the right because that's, if you like, a sense of appreciation or love and makes you feel valued. In fact, if you know, you you hear famous performers say, you know, who end up addicted to drugs, for example, on the one hand, they'll say that the best drug on the planet is performing an audience reaction. But on the other hand, they often say, the people who end up addicted, that the reason they end up getting addicted is because that's like a close, close second best. Nowhere there is good, but normal life doesn't relate, and they, that's what kind of pushes them towards wanting to try and feel that sense of acceptance, belonging, feeling worthwhile, feeling good and rewarded by an audience's laughter, applause, whatever relevant. So... Often what seems positive, audience reaction, can also have that negative impact in certain contexts. So I was, I was addicted to that. But my hobby had been, from a very early age, magic, um, conjuring tricks. And by the time I got to 10, I'd, my skill had developed to a level where I'd, got, I'd put together an act. So I refused to perform as Flap the Clown, but started performing as at the time stage name was Alex Leroy the young magician so I was still performing 
earning money, getting the audience applause and reaction that helped me feel worthwhile because the rest of the time I've felt shit, basically. Um, and by having said, no, I'm not going to perform as Flat the Clown, I was rationalising that that was going to improve things. It didn't, because I still got publicity as a magician that ended up then causing people to, you know, attack me and bully. Anyway, nonetheless, um, one of the side effects of doing the magic was, because I got to a level where I was professional, I was earning money from it, I, the books in the kids' library on magic, it was pointless me reading them because my skill level was way above it. Um, so my mum had a word with the librarians and got permission for me to take out books from the adult library on a kid's library card, which wasn't the usual thing to do. But after I'd shown them a few tricks, they kind of went, yeah, OK, over there are the magic books in the adult library. Now, in the Dewey Library Decimal Book, numbering system which is the same i believe worldwide the magic books the conjuring books come under the sports and sports and pastime section and just to the right of them in my eye line one day i realized that the books to the side it was a section called uh, self-help and popular psychology and they'd always been there i'd just been blind to them but one day i saw the spine on a book and it said how to win friends and influence people a book by dale carnegie and it was like a light bulb moment it was whoa hang on if i get that book and read it how to win friends and influence people if i influence the bullies and turn them into friends i stop getting bullied problem solved sounded great in theory few issues with it the contents of the book whilst many of them are fantastic for anyone thinking about buying it for an adult using them with common sense in an adult world and in an adult environment with other adults um they don't quite work as well for a 12 year old trying to use them on other 12 year olds in fact if you've been on if anything it made matters worse um However, on the bright side, I discovered this new section of the library, these books that claim to help you help yourself and develop yourself personally uh, and such. And eventually, I got a book out called uh, The Power of Auto-Suggestion by uh, a French guy, no longer with us. Uh, he was around in the 1800s, um, I believe, off the top of my head, a guy called Emile Couet. But he's, he's most famous, people might not have heard of him, but they've probably heard of the positive self-affirmation that he coined of day by day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. Or day by day, in every way, I'm feeling better and better. And this is so many decades, hundreds of years that he came up with this. And it has been tested, um, scientifically tested, and shown that if you say this to yourself, 15 times, which is a multiple of three, and the reason for the number three is that the first time you, you say, you, bare minimum for three, you hear people when they uh, are giving speeches, they will say something, tell you what they're going to say, say it, and then repeat it. And the reason for this is the first time your conscious mind, the analytical mind, hears it 
may or may not fully pay attention. The second time, the critical faculty analytical area or executive function of the brain, as it's also known, is hearing it a second time and goes, oh, I'm fed up of this, and kind of might go for a coffee break, metaphorically, meaning that the third time, this can go directly into your unconscious, subconscious mind, the imagination area, the, what I call the personal laptop computer, and it can take root as a, uh, a suggestion or a positive affirmation or command. Hence, everything's either in three or multiples of three. But specifically, 15 times is what MLQA said. I suppose it was for maximum impact. That when you woke up first thing in the morning and you're not fully awake yet, you've opened your eyes and you're still a bit like, it's what they call the hypnopompic state. Well, that's when the critical faculty analytical area executive function hasn't fully woken up yet. It's like the nightclub dormant of the mind, as I also call it, hasn't started work for the day. So those positive affirmations could go directly into your laptop computer. And at night time, just before you go to sleep, when you've got drowsy and you're starting to drift off, that's the hypnogogic state. And again, that's the time that the nightclub dormant of the mind's kind of finished the work for the day, isn't paying attention. So that's the time you can get suggestions in. Now, knowing that's good when you want to program yourself positively. But being aware of that's also important because you start drifting off and you're watching and you've got television news channel on, say. In that transitional period, any stories about fear and negativity that might be playing in the background if you drift off to sleep, there's no safety guard there. They go in, which instills fear and negativity into your laptop computer. And although you won't consciously be aware of it the next day, can have a negative effect on the way you react to things. So it's also something to be aware of to protect yourself um, as well. Anyway, I started doing this process day by day in every way. I'm feeling better and better, becoming better and better. And it wasn't a miraculous thing. It's not like waving a magic wand. But I did feel a bit better. I think it helped in terms of resilience. And um, I'm still here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I learned other things from his book as well. You see, by this point, I am at high school and secondary school, uh, as we call it, and by then I'm getting pretty much physically uh, attacked on a daily basis. It became one of the bullies' kind of routines to come up, pin me against the wall by the throat, give a load of verbal insults that their entourage, is that the right word? Their gang would laugh at anyway. Yeah, Yeah, and then they'd punch me, uh, let go of me, and walk off with their gang laughing. That that was became pretty much a, a, a daily routine. Um, so bad it was that at the end of the school day, I used to I became a master of disguise. Or I'd, I'd, I'd like get out of a lesson, dive to the toilets, lock myself in a cubicle, take off the coat I've been seen in all day at school, and but on a different coat so that hopefully I'll look different enough I won't be recognised. And then I purposely go different routes every day away from school home so that the boys won't be be able to spot me so that I won't get grief after school. That's how bad it was. Anyway, 
I discovered in these books by Emil Qa. The main one being, as I say, it's called the power of auto suggestion. Um, I learned about a thing called pattern interrupts, and the, the idea of this is that as human beings. We store experiences in our unconscious, subconscious, imagination, personal laptop computer, whatever you want to call it, so that when we encounter those again, we go into a situation and our brain goes, aha, we're here, searches the computer bank and goes, this is how we're meant to react. This is probably what's going to happen. That's generally speaking what occurs. So, for example, if you go into a room, I know there's some countries in the world where this isn't the case because there's different cultures, but in England... America and most of Europe, the bare minimum. If somebody places their arm out like that with a hand out, stretch, your natural instinct is your computer banks go, they want to shake hands. And you will put your hand out, hands will connect, hello, nice to meet you. Because that's the pattern of everyday life, the expectation of what that meant and how you should react. Now that's great and how to speed up things in life. However, MLQA uh, revealed that if you interrupt the pattern of someone's thought so that it doesn't happen the way they expect it to, it causes a sense of disorientation and confusion in them. It's almost like that frozen in the spotlights element of fight, flight, freeze and shite that I spoke about before. It has an effect on their sympathetic nervous system, their mind and their body. And... Um, so I learned that, and an example of this would be in hypnosis, a hypnotist may come up to you and put their hand out like that. You go, oh, it means to shake my hand, or she means to shake my hand, and you think you're going to end up doing that. But instead, if I was to then suddenly come in and grab your wrist, turn your hand, bring it towards your face, as I say, as your hand comes towards your face, your eyes close down, and you go to sleep, and some other magic words that go with that, because you would instantly go, I don't know what's going on here. This doesn't fit the pattern that's in the computer bank. That state of confusion and disorientation would kick in. That will bypass the critical faculty, analytical area, executive function, nightclub, dormant of the mind, who'd go, I don't know what's going on, I'm out of here, type of thing. So that then the hypnotist command of sleep or whatever can go directly into your unconscious, subconscious imagination, laptop computer like a programming to a computer, causing the reaction of you becoming, for example, hypnotized. Um, so I learned that in the book, the theory of it. And then there was also, I talked about um, the fact that you get more of what you focus on in life. So what it's termed in NLP as what resists, persists. So if you, people think they're doing a good thing when they kind of say affirmations to themselves that, Day by day, um, I am no longer poor, I'm getting richer. No. What's going to happen there is that you are entertaining the idea that you are still poor. And because you're focused on that, it's more likely that that will continue rather than changing. Far better would be, uh, you know, day by day, in every way, I am continuing to become richer and richer. Now that is both specific and focused on becoming richer, but in a way that's credible. Because your critical faculty, analytical area, executive function, nightclub bouncer of the mind, analyzes stuff, as does your conscious. 
if you were to say day by day, I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm richer and richer. I'm a multimillionaire now. Your mind goes, that isn't true. And won't let it in. And because you can then never get the computer programmed to allow you to become rich, you will not become rich. However, saying that day by day, in every way, you're becoming, becoming and continuing to become richer and richer, is saying that a process has started. So it's entertaining the idea that there may not be masses of evidence of it yet, but it's started and it's continuing. So then your mind will accept that because it's not massively unbelievable. And also it will look for the area of your brain called the reticular activating system. This is the area that means that if you buy a brand new yellow car, you've never seen one, you think you bought this, and then you go out and you're driving in it, and suddenly you keep seeing loads of people in the same type of yellow car. Because it's become more personal and relevant to you and important. So your mind starts looking for it. Well, in the same way, it will start looking for evidence that you are becoming richer and that this process has begun and is continuing. Whether that's finding 10 cents on the floor, so you're 10 cents richer. Whether that's getting a compliment of somebody for a job well done, which enriches you metaphorically. It will find things that confirm it in a positive fashion, thus making it become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I learned that. And then also there's the fact of things that appear as though you're saying you're going to do something can actually have inbuilt negative suggestions. So what I mean by that is the word try is the perfect example. If you say to somebody, I'm having a party next week on Wednesday, why don't you come along? If they say to you, I'll try and get there, I can guarantee you that 90% of the time they won't show up. Because if they truly had an intention of coming or enough of a commitment to really endeavour to do what they could to get there, they wouldn't say try. They may not be consciously aware they're doing this, but that's the truth of the matter. Because the word try has an inbuilt suggestion that it won't happen. Um, it can also work the other way out as an inbuilt suggestion. Uh, stage hypnotist, I'll give you this example. When I'm doing a stage hypnosis shot, I get people to put their hands together, the fingers of the left hand against the back of the right hand, the fingers of the right hand against the back of the left hand, palms pressed tightly together, thumbs down on top, and squeezing their hands tightly together and imagining in their mind's eye that the hands are locking, gluing, welding, cementing, bolting together. And I go through a whole verbal process and then at the end I'll say now just prove to yourself that your hands have locked together and just try to separate your hands and that word try implies there's the possibility they won't be able to open their hands which therefore makes it more likely that they get the reality that they can't um, in Star Wars the film Luke Skywalker is training with Master Yoda and he's trying to hit this thing that's flying around in the air. And um, Yoda says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm, I'm trying. And Master Yoda says, do or do not. There is no try. In other words, you've got to do it or don't do it. Because trying, it's more, likely, it's more likely to go in the negative angle long term. So I, I walk up with all these things combined. And I don't know, they just kind of meshed together in my head. And I guess it's because I had nothing to lose. Um, fast approaching 13, 
probably by this time. And I thought, sod it. I'm going to get hit anyway. So let's try something. And yeah, I know I just said try, implying it might not work. But at that moment in time, it was in my head, let's try it, I've got nothing to lose. So I went into school, and when the school bully, break time, came up to me, as that the very moment their hand started coming towards me, I started to say, oh, don't waste everyone's time. What are you wasting everyone's time for? And they just connected with my neck, and I carried on. Forget all your verbal nonsense. Why don't you just bloody hit me if you're going to do it? Go on, try and hit me. Try and hit me now. Go on, do it. What I was banking on here was that the word try would imply they wouldn't be able to. Sensory overload, I was hoping, would occur through uh, the confusion and disorientation of the pattern interrupt of this didn't fit the normal daily pattern. So hopefully they were going to the freeze bit of fight, flight, freeze and shite that I spoke about before. Hopefully this would have an effect on their sympathetic nervous system that would make them feel inside. And lo and behold, suddenly, for people who are viewing, it was like their eyes suddenly went. And I thought, and they were silent, and I was like, something's happening in their head. And there was silence for, it seemed like forever again, but it, it, probably only a matter of five, ten seconds. And then suddenly they let go of me. Started walking off, turned to their gang and said, follow me, fellas, and then turned to me and said, you're an effing nut job you are. Don't effing come near me ever again. Well, I had no intentions of doing that, did I? And lo and behold, that was the day I learned that words on the one hand can be like weapons, but on the other, they can actually heal and alter situations and reactions with life-changing consequences and life-changing, con- get a new set of teeth. The life-changing consequences of that were that the bullying from that person stopped. Uh, and generally speaking, it, it stopped overall, but obviously there were times that weren't school-related later in life where people, just natural jealousy of seeing me in the medium. But I, by then I'd learned to deal with them better because I'd, my sense of self and self-identity had been, by that time, thank God, uh, healed and repaired, which is the next um, stage of this. So to kind of sum up, the point of up to leaving school, because the one final bit I've, I've, I've missed out there is that once I'd learned these things, I'd learned the power of words can change things. Almost by synchronicity, I saw an advertisement in a thing called the Exchange of Mar magazine uh, in the business opportunities section, and it said, train to become a diploma-bearing clinical hypnotherapist and entertain people as a comedy stage hypnotist. So I sent off a stamped addressed envelope for the prospectus. This was 1988. I was uh, 80, 85, 86, 87. Yeah, 1988, I was 13. And I discovered that the course back then was £125 United Kingdom sterling, which at the time, the way the exchange rate was back then would have been about 250 United States dollars but remember this is in 1988 so it's a long time ago it's a fair amount of money especially for a 13 year old but I was earning money from doing my magic shows so I had money there 
and I booked myself on the course. Although I lied, I told a little white lie about my age. And it said you had to be 18 to do the course. Well, I thought it's correspondence. They'll never see me. So I lied. I did it. I did the exams. I passed them. I became the youngest. I knew I'd become the youngest ever member of the Association of Professional Hypnotherapists and Psychotherapists. But obviously no one else would have known that because I'd said I was 18 on the thing. Bit of a quandary here. So I end up contacting Dr. Brian Howard, who set up the APHP, and I came clean. And at first he was angry, obviously. You've lied and all that. And then he went, well, at the end of the day, you've still took the same exam as everyone else, and you passed it actually with flying colours. So he issued me a new, the end result is he issued me a new diploma with my correct date of birth on it. And I did then officially become the youngest ever um, certified clinical hypnotherapist through the Association of Professional Hypnotherapists and Psychotherapists here in England. And the reason I took the course is because it, it said in there, uh, amongst the other things it was going to teach you of how to help people overcome their habits, addictions, fears, phobias, panic attacks, anxiety, depression, um, feeling bad, lack of self-worth, imposter syndrome, you know, the things that I'd been feeling because of the bullying. So I thought this is... The answers that I'm seeking are, are, are there as well. And they were there, except in the excitement of becoming the youngest APHP member and learning these skills that I then got publicity with and started getting paying clients for from the age of 14 in 1989. Again, the evidence is on that uh, website, magicalguru.co.uk, because it does sound stranger than fiction. Um I forgot to use the techniques on myself. <laughs> Naughty me. Now, the downside, what that ultimately meant is that I didn't fully deal with those traumas that are built up inside and the negative programming that are built up from birth up to that point, up to puberty. And the reason that I, I mentioned that is because Sigmund Freud, or sick mind fraud as I like to call him, um is known for saying that from the formative years, from the from birth to around seven, we're like sponges, we're taking everything positively and negatively, blah, 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 and that infect, infects and affects us for the rest of our lives unless we do personal change work to deal with it. And on the one hand, he's right, but on the other, in my experience um, of the past several decades now, it's my experience that the formative years are from birth until around puberty, until around teenage years, which coincidentally ties in with when conventional psychology says that the executive function, aka the analytical area or critical faculty, actually starts doing its job. The nightclub bouncer of the mind comes into play metaphorically. Now, these are all metaphors and constructs, yes, that have no real basis in reality other than my experience is that using these metaphors and constructs actually helps people change their lives. Um, but there's just as much evidence that the mind doesn't work like a computer as there is that it does. But using these constructs is, is what has worked for me for decades. But because I didn't use them on myself, those things I'd learned, by the time I was like 15, 16, 
into 17, I developed addictions to smoking, cigarettes, uh, also cannabis. By my uh, late teens, I was taking cocaine, drinking excessively, gambling addictions, all these different kind of escapes in the cliched manner, you know. Smoke is a smoke screen to something that's hidden away. Drinking is to drown out the underlying problems. Drugs are to literally escape the reality. There's a lot more truth than a lot of people realise in those cliches because what it is is something internally that's not been dealt with. You're either still got traumas running around in that net computer from the past, and that doesn't mean you had to have been bullied every day like I was. It doesn't mean you had to, you've got to be some kind of sexual abuse victim. It doesn't mean that. It can actually be things that as an adult you'd laugh at and go, that's not traumatic. That wouldn't be affecting me now. Don't be ridiculous suggesting that. An example. And all of us have got dozens, if not hundreds, of these examples from birth up to teenage years, which end up in our net-top computers, which means the vast majority of us are not operating at peak performance level. We're running like a computer with a virus on it, except these are loads of negative viruses that are built up from birth to teenage years. Example. If I was to say to most people that because... When you were young, I know this is hypothetical, I'm not saying it did happen to you, but, but when you were young, you were at a party when you were three years old and you ended up playing with this red balloon and an adult walked past, accidentally knocked you, you fell onto the balloon, it burst, you ended up crying. That that, now as an adult, could be running in your personal laptop computer as a severe, mini, what I call a mini trauma, that would actually be having a negative impact on your life as an adult now that could be contributing to you having a habit or an addiction, a fear or phobia or anxiety or panic attacks or depression. Most people would probably laugh and go, you're an idiot. That sounds ridiculous. However, if I get you to look at it a bit differently, you see, as a three-year-old, we don't know the difference between that that we imagine and create or reality. To the three-year-old, the outsider is a balloon. But to the three-year-old, that three-year-old might have got hold of that balloon and suddenly decided that that's a magical fairy kingdom castle. And it's full of magical fairies. And that when that adult accidentally knocked them and they fell onto it and it burst, the adult thinks it's the balloon bursting and a loud noise that's causing them to cry. And yeah, that could be a small contributory element. But actually what's really upsetting the three-year-old child, is that magical fairy kingdom castle's just been destroyed and all the fairies have been killed. How as daft as that might sound, to a three-year-old, that is as traumatic on your um, sympathetic nervous system, your mind, your body, your spirit, your soul, however you want to look at it, as it would be to an adult losing a loved one or a family member in a car crash. Now, when you think of it that way, whoa. And realise that we've had dozens, if not hundreds, of what I call mini traumas from birth up to the teenage years before the nightclub doorman comes on who can stop shit getting in most of the time. 
then you start to realize that we're all pretty much walking around with our heads full of shit, metaphorically, full of negative shit that we're not even consciously aware of, that has wounded our metaphorical inner child, that has put viruses onto our metaphorical laptop computer that need dealing with, because if they're not, to try and get attention of the conscious mind of the adult, they would make things manifest somehow by making you either turn to smoking, drinking, taking drugs, an addiction somewhere, or not feeling wonderful about yourself, so you feel inferior, or by making you feel so stressed, you have anxiety or panic attacks, or making you feel dead, so that you uh, are stuck in the past in depression. It can manifest in so many different ways, but it's actually a cry for help, kind of metaphorically, from your wounded inner child, wanting to be healed and released. And the computer wanting the negative viruses wiped off and some uh, antivirus software for the brain installing so that you can start as the perfect you with all the potential. And I didn't do that straight away when I'd learned these things. I was too busy helping other people and earning money from it and then wasting that money by drinking, smoking, taking and then one day I walk up, I was probably about 18, going on 19, thereabouts, give or take a few months. And I suddenly thought, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm doing really well here, appearing on TV, in the ra- on the radio, in the newspapers, magazines, treating celebrity clients, all the stuff that sounds like, wow. Again, I refer you to that website for the evidence that I'm not talking mm-hmm. shit. Um, and... I thought, I've got more month left at the end of the money than I've got money left at the end of the month because of all these, you know, the habits, addictions. And I thought, that's it. Don't buy any more cocaine. Don't buy any more cannabis. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll drink to loosen yourself up, but don't get to the point that you basically wake up the next day and can't remember the previous day. And I made a conscious decision. But a conscious decision isn't enough because if consciously you decide that, for example, you're going to stop smoking, some people successfully do. But generally, it's only for a matter of weeks or months or a few years, and then something happens and they relapse. And the reason for that is they've not healed the wounded inner child and they've not uh, got rid of the negative programs that were running and installed mental antivirus software for the brain. Or, if they don't relapse, symptom substitution will happen because the underlying things haven't been dealt with. So they'll manifest, you know, someone who used to smoke might stop and never touch another cigarette. Excellent. But because of these negative things running at the back, they might end up eating more or they might end up biting the fingernail. Symptom substitution, it's called. To avoid that, you've got to heal the wounded in the child and delete the negative stuff and install the metaphoric antivirus software for the brain. Which, because otherwise, if you just consciously try and do it, as Emil Kue said in his books, when the human will or conscious mind and the imagination, the subconscious, are in conflict, the imagination, whatever's running on that computer, will ultimately always win. So with that in mind, I knew that I needed to use these techniques on myself, and I did. And the long story cut short from there is, it worked. In the way it would have worked if I'd have, 
it's ridiculous. If I'd have just, when I passed the course, when I was 14, healed the wounded in a child and dealt with the reprogramming, which is something, it's not something you just do once, by the way, because it's like with antivirus software on your computer. You have to, whether it's monthly, every fortnight, you'll get an alert update available. And, you know, because new viruses come out for the computer, so they have to have new patches, add-ons to the antivirus software. So it is with everyday life, unexpected things occur. So you need to constantly be feeding yourself positivity. Um, anyway, I did that. So I'd overcome those things. Hurrah. Um, but it's still something I have to use these techniques, you know. I still have to do stuff now because it's an ongoing thing. Um, and I realised then over the decades that have followed that the key to every problem on the planet that any human being's got, well, it can be simplified if you've got to heal the uh, wounded inner child and remove the negative programs and install positive mental antivirus software. But there's one other key thing that needs to be done for long-term, sustainable, becoming the best possible you. you. And that is, I realise that every human being, whether they're consciously aware of it or not, is at some point currently what I refer to as being, and I'm looking down ever so slightly just to find the page to show it on camera, is... Um, Emotionally or psychologically, generally both, as the chapter in my book says, are you emotionally constipated? Yeah, you may have guessed in my book, Shitnosis, How Can You Get Over the Shit in Your Life and Get Your Shit Together, uh, incorporating the fuck that system, fully unconscious conditioning, knowledge therapy, honouring absolute transformation. Um, there are a lot of shit metaphors but i prefer to say the good metaphors but the good metaphors about shit um and people are emotionally constipated and the reason for this is kind of what's gone on from birth to the teenagers it's every time a teacher said they weren't good enough or every time they were laughed at as adults we could look at that and go it means nothing but as i said as the youngster it's a different level of trauma or negativity programming, imprinting that goes in. And so, it's going to have a negative effect on that person's what I call emotional balance. What I mean by this is, I have a thing I call Royals Hierarchy of Emotional and Psychological Needs. And that is that I believe for all of us to operate at our peak performance, the best we can be, being happy, most all of the time, not all of the time, because life's got to have some negatives, otherwise you don't appreciate the positives. Uh, it become Groundhog Day. But generally speaking, okay, um, you need to feel, whether you're consciously aware of it or not, you need to feel loved, wanted, needed, appreciated, cared for, cherished and valued. Now, hearing that for the first time, a lot of listeners might go, they all sound very similar. But if you get a thesaurus and check them out, I'll give you that list again. Loved, wanted, needed, appreciated, cared for, cherished and valued. You very quickly find 
that they all mean different things because some of them relate to self-confidence, some to self-esteem, some to self-image. They're all different areas. So you see, to be a perfect, I use that term loosely because that's again a perceptual thing. Everyone's idea of perfect is different. Everyone's idea of normal is different. Whatever's right for you is right for you. Stop competing with other people. It's about being the best possible you. Just compete with yourself to be a better version of yourself tomorrow than you are today. And things will become a whole lot easier in various areas of life. But to be the best possible you, you need to feel, and feelings are illusionary. You can feel lonely and yet have loads of friends and family around you. And conversely, you can feel loved, wanted, needed, appreciated, cared for, cherished and valued in the company of yourself. Some people do. Everybody's different. There are sliding scales of this, but this is what equates them all. Um, and if you've ever felt rejected in any of those areas of loved, wanted, needed, appreciated, cared for, cherished and valued, which I can pretty much guess majority of human beings have at some point from birth to teenage years, okay, probably multiple times, just in ways that now as an adult don't occur to you because you'd laugh at it, whereas as a child it had a different impact on, then that will cause an imbalance and that will cause a negative impact on your self-confidence, your self-image, your self-esteem and or your self-control, aka willpower. And if there's been any imbalance in one or more of them, it will have a negative impact on your self-worth, your self-love, your self-respect, and your positive selfishness. That ability to look after yourself so then you can be the best possible you and of use to others as well. And if there's been a negative impact on one or, or more of them, it will ultimately impact your sense of self, your self-identity the core of you. It will feel like there is something missing, there is a gap, which is often why some people turn to religion. Others become fitness freaks in the gym. Others start drinking, smoking, back to the metaphors we spoke about before. So that is what causes this imbalance, the sense of something missing, that causes habits, addictions, fears, phobias, imposter syndrome, the little voice in your head to say, you're not good enough, and all that kind of stuff. So I realized the key to it all is to help the individual in front of me or through the pages of my book, Shitnosis, and not, well, not just through the pages of the book, because there's only so much you can do with the written word. Some people then need a demonstration and guiding through it in a helping hand, which is why there's tons of these things in the book, QR codes, that people can scan, and it takes them to videos of me demonstrating the techniques, talking them through them, and guiding them through the processes uh, to make it as easy as possible. And all of these things are aimed at helping the individual to end up feeling loved, wanted, needed, appreciated, cared for, cherished, and valued, so that that's balanced out, so that in turn, their self-confidence, self-image, self-esteem, and self-control get leveled out again, so that in turn, the self-love, self-worth, self-respect, and positive selfishness get balanced out again, so that in turn, their self-identity sense of self is restored almost to factory settings, factory reset almost, so they feel whole again. So they feel worthwhile. So that little voice in the head starts saying things like, it's all right, you've got this, 
Might not be going to plan right now, but stick with it. You'll get there. So it plays a different program on that personal laptop computer. And the best way of all that I've just described occurring is to metaphorically um, heal the inner child, which is why, for example, one of the um, chapters in the book is making peace with and healing your inner child. And there's a video session of therapeutic process to go through. Um, which on a low level, just imagine this now. If you're driving, definitely don't do this. I'm going to say close your eyes. But if you close your eyes and just imagine that it's almost as if you can imagine a little you, the three-year-old you, sat on your lap right now. And when we do this process properly, I tell people to get a pillow or a cushion and hold it with their eyes closed so it becomes a multi-sensory experience that helps... Uh, impact this more and what you do is while you're holding yourself you um, imagine saying to the three-year-old you I'm sorry please forgive me thank you I love you I'm here for you now it's not your fault it never was you're not to blame. I'm proud of you. Everything's going to be okay now. Now, I'm sure people let us know with feedback below the video or the audio on the podcasts and social media platforms um, if this applies to them. But even just thinking that now and hearing it for some people will be quite emotional. In when you go through the process properly with the video that's, uh, you know, the therapeutic virtual online treatment session that's included for that, it truly can help you to heal your metaphorical uh, inner child. And then we go through various processes such as the SCAT process, subconsciously charged analytical tapping, enabling you to knock all the negative shit out of yourself. Um, you may have heard of things like emotional freedom technique, thought field therapy, where you tap certain meridian energy points uh, and also use positive self-affirmations. Well, this is my version, SCAT, so consciously charged analytical tapping that does what it says on the tin. It enables you to gently, lightly, in a non-damaging fashion, knock all the negative shit out of yourself, overcome panic attacks, um, leave stress and depression behind. And there's, that's it. This book ultimately is what I've used from 1989 when I passed that course to help other people and what I used on myself eventually, what an idiot, um, to deal with those things myself. And I still use them to this day. You know, if a family member passes away or a friend, and unfortunately in the past few years, that's happened way too many times with the pandemic. I'm not some supercomputer that's programmed to not be negatively affected by that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But I have a level of uh, resilience because of the way I put the positive programs in, but then I still need to top that up and use techniques such as those that are in the book so that my life wouldn't fall apart and I wouldn't become an emotional wreck. But there's nothing wrong 
with going through a grieving process in that example there's nothing wrong with sometimes feeling down in fact you have to to appreciate the ups as well in life so i'm not here saying that this is a book that's going to make you like function like a computer hell no and neither would you want that but it will help you deal with things a damn sight better than uh, perhaps you have done previously up to this point and that's become such a long-winded answer but along the way uh, hopefully i've answered a lot of other things as well well i love how much you've broken it down because the intention of the show is really to get people to have a definition for things that they've never heard or not heard so like i can imagine myself driving along listening to this and being very appreciative of how much you break down with the definition and examples. But if you're driving along, you don't close your eyes. Yeah, you don't close your eyes, long. for sure. No. Um, and we will not be doing any hypnosis techniques on this episode in case you are driving. Exactly. Um, but you have studied so many different types of hypnotherapy. Um, one I know that I actually learned is suggestive selling in the service industry was okay. forms, like minor forms of NLP. Um, and they, it's, how am I trying to say? NLP is in suggestive selling, but it's in descriptive words. It's in the way that you're smiling and you're like nodding it's your in, head at things. It's in everything. In. The truth be known, it NLP, really hypnosis, call it whatever you will. Mm-hmm. It's got different names so people can sell courses. The truth is, it's an awareness of and use of mm-hmm. As a therapist with positive intent to help people change their lives, as a stage hypnotist with positive intent to entertain people, mm-hmm. um, as a salesperson with the intent to get somebody to buy to something, buy something. Yes. as long as as long as that product's good, maybe that's positive. Some could argue that the techniques can be used to persuade people to buy things they didn't want to buy. Yes, yes, they can. So that could also be seen as negative. Uh, the same techniques. Used with negative intent can be used by, and I would argue most definitely are, Mm -hmm. by governments to manipulate and control the mass populace, by politicians to get people to vote for parties doing things they maybe wouldn't normally do, uh, by religion, um, and certainly by cults to manipulate and have power over people. It's used in all areas of life. It's, It's just the use of emotional and psychological manipulation and persuasion through the clever structure of words and psychological principles, and also through nonverbal uh, suggestions as well, through body language or facial expressions and whatnot. Um, it often gets overcomplicated by people who want to sell you the next fancy course or sell you another book or don't want you to realise how simple underneath it all really is. Because when you start to realise what's going on, you get a little bit, not fully, because even I can be influenced, you know. Um, but you get a bit of a safety shield against being influenced so easily. These people then have to work harder to put you into that fear state or the confused cat in the headlight state. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you read so much negative news or see so much negativity on the news, because in the news there's an old saying if it bleeds, it leads, meaning the more horrific nightmarish or painful or negative the story is the more airtime or print space it gets because that puts the mass populace into that state of confusion and disorientation Mm -hmm. which is 
akin and similar to the theta state of trance, which makes them more easily manipulated, controlled and persuaded to do things or not to do things, as the case may be, by the powers that be that um, run the world, which is something that actually I cover in my documentary I made in 2019, just before the pandemic, uh, a documentary called Extreme Danger, Extreme Hypnosis, subtitled It's Time for the Sleepwalking Zombies to Wake Up. Now, that was originally available on Amazon Prime Video and um, Vimeo On Demand. And then the pandemic hit the world, and I sat down and spoke with the producer and director of the film, uh, Richard Willett, who now works for Iconic, the online television alternative news and media channel set up by David Icke, the truth researcher, and his sons, Jamie Icke and Gareth Icke. And in actual fact, what we did is we agreed between us that as he just started working at that time with um, David, Jamie and Gareth, ready for the launch of Iconic, that um, if I agreed to let them put the documentary onto the Iconic platform for free, so I wouldn't get any payment out of it as a gift to the platform, Mm -hmm. uh, so that members could watch it for free, that in exchange... I could put the documentary for free onto my YouTube channel to help spread the word further. And indeed, I have. So if people go on YouTube and search for my Celebrity Hypnotist YouTube channel and then click on Playlists, one of the playlists is called, yep, Extreme Danger, Extreme Hypnosis. And in there is the full-length, one-hour and 50-minute-long documentary available for free. And in that documentary, we cover politics, religion, the indoctrination system, or as some call it, the education system, um, social media, all areas of life, and show you how from birth, from the cradle to the grave, the powers that be use emotional and psychological manipulation and suggestion, some call it hypnosis, to manipulate, control, and persuade people into doing things they want you to do and into not doing things they don't want you to do. And we open your eyes to that. But we can, because we cover so many subjects in it, we can only do a few minutes on each. It's an overview, which is why we also then made a web series of about eight different episodes, taking the core subjects and you know doing 20 minutes on each one, different episodes. You'll find them in that playlist as well, as well as a whole bunch of other uh, related things where I go into how cults work and how to deprogram someone who's um, escaped a cult, how to program yourself positively so you don't get brainwashed, influenced or manipulated into joining a cult in the first place and a whole bunch of other stuff like that as well um, can be found there completely free of charge. Good. Keep the continued education going and definitely get those people to understand that they are being programmed every day somehow. My favorite saying is if you aren't programming yourself, somebody's programming you. Exactly. Well, even listening to this or watching this, people are getting programmed. But here's the thing I would hope that from what I've already just said, but if not, here's a wake up call. Um, do not take anything I say as 100% reality without independently researching it and experimenting with it yourself. I always say um, presenting it to my intuition first because. Well, it's just like sitting in front of a practitioner, a teacher, a doctor, anything. Um, 
you kind of put these people on a pedestal and you're like, oh, well, I don't really know anything, so I'm going to listen to them and take what they say. It's just the absolute church, right? Um, exactly. School is, is not about you, learning. School's not about English, maths and that. What they're doing is they're training you to learn things, right, to remember them, and then you get rewarded at exam time for recalling them. And all of these things came from the perceived authority figure. The lesson you're truly being indoctrinated into is that you listen to authority figures unquestionably, take it on board without question, recall it and repeat it on demand without question, and then you get rewarded. And if you do anything other than that, you get a red cross, you fail the exam, and, and that's what from that's what school is more about. Because if it was truly about helping you be free and achieve your best potential in life, they teach you things like budgeting. Um, they teach you things like how to cook on a budget, how to pay your household bills. They teach you skills that actually are usable for everyone in everyday life. Um, that's not what they want mm -hmm. unless you're part of the elite who end up in the you know paid for fee paying private schools where what a surprise you find most politicians in england that achieve any level of like prime minister not all tend to have gone to places like eton mm -hmm. you know um it, this is not a coincidence mm -hmm. the world has been set up that way it is them and us sadly um and yet there's a whole more there's a massively bigger number of us the mass populace, the, the, if you start to take a step back, stop automatically listening to authority figures. Now, I'm, use applied common sense here. I am not saying that if the authority figure of a security guard in a museum says, hey, everyone get outside, we've been told there's a bomb in the building. I'm not saying ignore things like that. They may be wrong, but you know what? It's probably best just to get out anywhere. Okay, apply common sense. What I'm saying is, well, that if someone says something's in your best interest, independently research it mm -hmm. from multiple different angles and then decide for yourself. Okay, one more thing, because I've never seen this before in my life. Before we let okay. everybody know, everybody yeah. to find you again. I've got a funny feeling what's coming here. Yeah, Here's my prediction. I really do. <laughs> I've got a prediction. I really want everybody to go check out his website and just read his story and go through all his info because we, I mean, we would be recording for 10 hours plus if we did it. But on your website, I read that you dabbled or still dabble in psychic belly button reading consultant for the stars. I, I called it psychic belly button reading, uh, a.k.a. navel gazing, because it involved... Placing my finger into a person's belly button. So it was like a finger going into a plug socket. And the way I described it was that when I did that, I'd get like a kind of energy, energetic force flooding into my body, into my mind, and I get images that I could tell them about the past, present, and future. And also there were physical elements of a belly button. Mine's kind of an innie, it pokes inwards, which tends to mean someone who's quite introverted. And actually, when I'm not on stage, I kind of am. Um, you get people whose belly buttons kind of stick out like a, a, um, a, 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 a doorknob sticking outwards. 
So that tends to indicate someone who's more extroverted. You get people with dents in their belly button, and if they're pointed upwards, they tend to be headstrong. If they've got a horizontal line in the belly button, they tend to be down to earth, call a spade a spade. Now, these are things that turned out to be somewhat uncannily accurate when I was doing these belly button readings for celebrities, for the national newspapers and on television shows around the world. People can see clips of them um, if you go having a hunt on my Celebrity Hypnotist YouTube channel. Or if you go to MagicalGuru.com, so at the start, I said all the evidence was on MagicalGuru, M-A-G-I-C-A-L-G-U-R-U.co.uk, of the stuff that's batshit crazy. But if you change the .co.uk to .com, you'll get a different website, and there's a button that says Psychic Belly Button Reading. And that explains the background. You'll see videos. You can have a laugh. The truth is, it's nonsense. It's something I made up uh, to prove that one of the many things I did when I became Britain's biggest ever media prankster, probably Europe's biggest media prankster, uh, in the uh, early to late 90s, quite a time period, and I used different names and disguises to prove that the newspapers, magazines, and even TV and radio shows worldwide, truth and reality are the last of their priorities. They're all about making a profit selling newspapers or getting viewers that is more important to them than truth and reality and the proof of that is if any of them had actually turned around and categorically said is this nonsense i would have said yeah it is but nobody ever asked that question and there were other crazy stunts I pulled with the media like claiming to be addicted to Quaver's crisps um, saying that I collected snails and my girlfriend was going to leave me unless I got rid of them you can see video footage of that that was on a comedy show in England years ago I did the most bizarre zaniest things that any right minded journalist interested in truth should have asked certain questions and then I'd have gone, yeah, it's bullshit. Or they'd have done a bit of investigation themselves and they found out it was nonsense. But instead, I ended up appearing on television shows, radio shows, in newspapers and magazines around the world, hundreds and hundreds of times with different names, disguises and crazy batshit stories. Leading up to, in 1998, I'd heard rumours that a British journalist, for one of Rupert Murdoch, that world-famous media mogul, for one of Rupert Murdoch's publications called The News of the World, which people may be aware of worldwide because it famously shut down uh, a number of years ago after it was found guilty of hacking uh, the voicemail messages of murdered schoolgirl Millie Dowler. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this is a big, massive backstory, which we don't have time to discuss, so I'll, I'll refer people to what they can discover more in a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, but one of their journalists, a guy called the Fake Sheikh, his real name, Mazia Mahmoud, I heard rumours um, had a total, an even bigger disregard for reality or truth, and that in fact he would just blatantly make things up and say that celebrities and people had done things they hadn't done. Or he would, I heard, manipulate them into doing things so that they were enticed with the offer of... Um, a movie part worth massive amounts of money and massive fame and, uh, and you know, take their career through the stratosphere if they would do a simple thing like going to this place that they'd be told about by one of the 
for the as my mood, the fake shake would act as an oil shake under a fake name. And um, often one of the ploys was that he'd say he wanted drugs, and if you could just get him some drugs, you know, he'd pull strings with his oil shake boss and get you that film part. And it was all very believable because of the scale it went to. And um, so people would go, but they weren't drug dealers. They probably didn't even know where to get drugs until the perceived bodyguard of the sheikh told them where to get it. And it's turned out in recent years, the evidence is, the person that they were told to get it off was often employed by them. So they were actually the drug dealers. So, yeah, supplying the money to the person to go and pick it up. But on te- camera, they say the camera never lies, but what was on film and edited to be out of context made the person look guilty, made them look like they were some kind of drug dealer when they weren't. And they ended up, some people, getting prison sentences. Oh. Fortunately, those people are now appealing them and evidence has come to light. Um, and this was back in 1998, and I set out to expose these unethical and illegal tactics. Unfortunately, it backfired. Uh, a little bit, and I ended up with uh, two six-month prison sentences to run concurrently. I did serve some time in prison. That's currently in the process of being appealed because of the new evidence that's come to light 25 years on. But I tried in 1998, as the record shows, to expose this guy. In the past two years, well, in 2014, rather, British pop star Talisa Contostavlos was apparently exposed for being a drug dealer. She wasn't, but again, it was another one of these fake shake scams. And it went to court, and she could have ended up going to prison if the judge hadn't managed to realise that Mazia Mahmoud, the fake shake, was lying on the stand, and there were inconsistencies in what he was saying. And he um, but stay on proceedings. The case collapsed. Talisa was quite rightly declared innocent and free to go. And... Then an investigation into Mazia Mahmoud and how he'd lied in that case was started and it concluded with him getting charged, getting taken to court. And in 2016, he was uh, convicted for conspiracy to pervert the course of justice and jailed for 15 months, which frankly wasn't long enough. But I suspect there might be future repercussions for him in the future, given what's come out in the past two years. Because in the past two years... It's come to my attention, thanks to witness statements that I've kindly been given uh, in my quest to get my convictions overturned, that he used to drug people's drinks at these meetings Mm -hmm. with a date rape style drug to make them more suggestible, amenable and easily influenced. Uh, I've got a witness statement of the person who used to work with him, which people can see that uh, proof of that statement at circusofthemind.net. I've set up a web page devoted to my past 25 years' uh, work, gathering all the evidence against Mazia Mahmoud, the fake shake, and how there's been a gross miscarriage of justice in dozens of people being jailed wrongly that never should have been whose cases are currently they're fighting for justice and also in the past couple of years i've discovered which i didn't know previously that he was regularly using unlawful information gathering techniques including phone hacking tapping people's landlines to find out what they were thinking so we'd know how to manipulate them more in my case that's relevant because it means that 
the first time I ever met him, when I thought I was going in to expose him, he actually knew that I knew who he was. And any journalist whose real aim was truth and honesty would have walked away right there and then. But instead, they continued to put pressure on behind the scenes and manipulate things to the point where when they supplied some money, I did actually end up going to the place that the bodyguard character and other associates behind the scene had told me I could acquire a thousand counterfeit pound coins from for 400 pounds sterling. And I wasn't thinking straight. And I thought it was just because I was under stress and I wanted this story to appear so then I could go to a rival paper and expose, because I was secretly recording as well, expose the truth, that the truth was this, this is what they printed. There's a massive difference here. Look, this is what they do. They lie, distort, and manipulate things. I also, in that moment, split moment, when I made that weird decision to go and pick up these counterfeit coins from a place I've been told where to get them by one of his staff, using money that they supplied up front, otherwise it couldn't have happened, um, thought to myself, well, they're going to the fake shake, Muslim Mahmood, the news of the world get them, then they'll give them to the police, so they're never going to go in per, per, into public circulation. I also figured as I could prove that I'd been secretly recording, that I there was a public interest journalism defence for me that I was going to go to another paper. Fortunately, when it came down to it, although the judge agreed with everything I said, in so much as, as you can see at circusofthemind.net, in court, when sentencing me, said, I agree, you knew who Muslim Mood was, and your intention was not criminal. But I'm not allowing that to be an excuse for collecting and delivering the counterfeit coins, hence you get in prison. Um, which everyone said at the time was harsh. The police said it to me. That lots of people were surprised. Now, years on, we've come to realise um, that Mazza Mahmood bragged about having bent police officers in his pocket, having contacts in the CPS. Was there corruption going on? Well, the evidence seems to suggest heavily yes, as you can see at circusofthemind.net, because in the past couple of years, not only has evidence come out that Mahmood was um, tapping landlines, hacking phones, drugging people's drinks, but also documents have come to light in the High Court of England during the phone hacking cases that are going on. Through the process of disclosure, documents have been found to be in the possession of newsgroup newspapers where the police, Special Investigations Department, are communicating with the Crown Prosecution Service back in 1994, stating that Mazia Mahmood uh, could not be trusted and should not be trusted as a witness of truth in any further cases. And yet they carried on relying on his evidence until 2014 when the Talisa Contostavlis trial collapsed. Oh my gosh. And they never disclosed to anybody, because bearing in mind in 1994 they knew this, in 1998, when my story appeared, in 99 I went to court, the CPS of the police never disclosed to me that there was evidence to bring into question Mazama Mood's dishonesty. All I had to suggest that was the rumours I'd heard. I didn't know he hacked phones, I didn't know he drugged people, and I didn't know that the police and CPS were already aware he couldn't be trusted. If I'd known that, if my barrister had known that, the case would never have gone to court.
I'd have never got a criminal conviction. I wouldn't be where I am now having to fight to get back to the Court of Appeal through the Criminal Cases Review Commission to get my convictions overturned. And as I currently am now, where I submitted a case to the High Court on, on the 30th of September 2022, with the evidence and receipts that have come to light, that show that my phone was probably hacked and that most definitely unlawful information gathering techniques were used against me and that there is this evidence that my drinks were drugged uh, and other illegal tactics used against me. But it didn't just happen to me, it happened to loads of other people. Mm -hmm. So as people can learn at circusofthemind.net, I've been on a quest uh, ever since to expose the truth that the media, to a lot of it, truth and honesty isn't their main agenda. And you know what's happening today? The 10th of May, as we record this, 10th of May 2023, is the first day of a trial in the high courts in England where Prince Harry, along with several other celebrities, um, are taking Mirror Group newspapers to court for phone hacking and various other things. Then in July, Prince Harry is in court against the Daily Mail newspaper for phone hacking and other things. And currently scheduled for around January 2024, Prince Harry will be is scheduled to be in court against Rupert Murdoch's newsgroup newspapers for phone hacking. And famously, as you'll learn about circusofthemind.net, um, newsgroup once engaged the services of Mazda Mahmood, the fake shake, to try and perpetrate a drug sting that failed, but they tried to perpetrate a drug sting against Prince Harry. The can of worms is very deep. The reason the media, uh, generally a lot of them, are slagging off Meghan and Harry is because, well, you've got newsgroup newspapers, Rupert Murdoch, you've got Daily Mail, which is Associated Press, off the top of my head, I think. I might have that wrong. Check, check for yourself. Uh, it's, yes, Daily Mail. In fact, you know what? because I just want to clarify very clearly, do not think Associated Press, I think that's a news agency. Daily Mail is owned by... Most Daily Mail and General Trust is a British multinational media company. Um, owner, Hansworth Family, Viscount Rothmere through Rothmere Continuation Limited. So forget anything about Associated Press, they're innocent. Those people. And then you've got Mirror Group. These are big groups. They own a, a company, they're owned by a company called Ridge, which own hundreds of TV, radio, newspaper. The rabbit hole's very deep. Mm -hmm. Learn more about it at circusofthemind.net. Something I've been trying to expose the truth of for 25 years now. And it's something that Prince Harry in his book Spare says it's his life's work to clean up the media. And um, that's why the media are attacking him. You even with your hypnotism and showing people ways that they can be duped at any of these shows, whether it's people pretending to have clear senses and manipulate people or people doing weird things with hypnotism. I mean, I could go down a mm. full list of charlatans and snake oil salesmen that are out there, but I do like that you are wanting to uncover the truth on a multitude of levels and going against big organizations that most you know, yeah. people wouldn't. Do you know the weird thing? 
And age round, I uncover the truth because here's a crazy thing. Shit Gnosis, my book, for example. How can you get over the shit in your life and get your shit together? Available on Amazon and all of the good book retailers by Jonathan Rowe. This book can change your life. It can help you overcome habits, addictions, fears, phobias. But there is a big catch. And that catch is it's no good just reading it. You've actually got to put into action what you learn. Mm -hmm. That saying knowledge is power is bullshit. Applied knowledge is power. You've got to take action. If you do nothing, you'll get nothing. If you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting what you've always got. But I promise you, if you get this book, $17 or £14.70, you won't ever need to spend money on the therapist because those QR code things are like virtual online therapy sessions. It'll help you. It can help you change your life. But I tell you here honestly, and I tell you in the front of the book, how these processes work. They work the way I've explained on here, but all of those things go together. And they go together combined with a few other elements, which are this. A thing called the Pygmalion or Rosenthal effect, which is proven that if people know... The Rosenthal thing was done in a school, and they said that some students were good and expected to have great outcomes, some were expected to have bad outcomes. And that's what the teachers were told. The reality is they're all equal ability, okay? But because the teacher believed that this group of people would do badly and this group would do well, they transmitted their intent and beliefs on a non-verbal and verbal level to those groups in that manner, and it became a self-fulfilling prophecy through the intention they pushed out mm -hmm. that the group they've been told was likely going to do bad did and the group that they said would do well did okay well it's the same with therapy if your therapist transmits to you the fact that this important seeming ritualistic process is going to work for you and you pick up on that it is more likely to work for you and it will trigger off what is called the galatea effect which Studies show basically that if you believe the process you're going through will work and have a successful outcome, that it's more likely to work for you. And then also combined with that is the Hawthorne effect. If you know that you're accountable and people are going to be keeping an eye on you and checking in and giving you moral support, is it working? It's more likely to have long-term effects. Then there's things like the totem effect. If you're giving a an audio recording to listen to twice a day or a, a ritual to do twice a day or a lucky charm to believe in and focus on, that can help increase your belief and expectancy in it working. It's the so-called placebo effect with tablets taken and studies show it's just the process, the ritual, actually does as much if not more. And in recent years, they found that open-label placebos, namely telling the person that it's a sugar pill, can work just as well as if they didn't know it was a sugar pill and just as well as if it was some chemical drug. And we go into the placebo effect and nocebo effect and how you can be your own placebo in shit gnosis. So I tell you the truth of how it all bloody works, but the evidence actually shows that once you know how it works, it doesn't affect it working. If anything, it takes away your resistance to the possibility of it working and makes it more likely to be able to work for you because you can go and use these processes in a manner where you, with positive intent, put everything in place in such a manner that you're priming the placebos to work better for you. You can't hear my clapping in my microphone, but I'm like, yes, use the well, placebo. I can see it. Thank you. <laughs> use the placebo effectively. 
That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Everything, all of it, I highly recommend all of your websites for everyone to go check out all of your information. Um, your book looks super interesting. I literally just saw it today online. I know that you've written over 30, but this is the newest one. but I'll one. tell you up front, this sounds nonsense. Yes, I've got, all the, I've got nearly 50 books on sale. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Some of them, well, there's quite a number of them that are self-help books, but don't go looking for them. Please don't, right? Okay? I don't want you buying them. Those now I only recommend to people who want to read them and learn more things they can use as a therapist who are going to help other people. Mm -hmm. In terms of self-help, helping yourself, ignore my past books, which actually cost more than shit gnosis anyway. Don't buy them. Because this is the latest, this is the up-to-date, this is the final word, mm -hmm. this is the best I've ever produced, there won't be any more, there's no upsell. So if you get shit nurses, you personally, to transform your life, do not need the other self-help books that I've got out. Perfect. If you're a therapist watching this law who wants to learn other techniques to use for your clients, then by all means, go ahead. But yeah. for the majority of people, no, the only one to buy is this one. Well, I'm excited. I want to get it on my order list for sure. So I'll be able to put the link below for everybody that is interested in getting your shit together. Um, and if anybody has any questions, they can also reach out to you through your website, through Facebook. Exactly. You'll anywhere. find me on my handle. My daughter tells me is the term for it. Yes. On all social media platforms except YouTube where it's celebrity hypnotist. Okay. But everywhere else it's at... Royal Hypnotist, which is R-O-Y-L-E-H-Y-P-N-O-T-I-S-T. At Royal Hypnotist, everywhere except YouTube, where it's Celebrity Hypnotist. Well, I will track down all of your handles across all of the various platforms and link them below in the description, because that's my favorite part. If I'm listening to well, a you, guest, you'll, then I want to get You'll find them dead easy. They're all listed at the top of my website, magicalguru.com. All of the links, LinkedIn, Twitter, you, Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll get all those links for everybody who wants to know more. There is so much more that we could get into. I know we're about at the two hour mark. So we're let's try. Gonna... Let's try something before we end. Okay. Okay. Yeah. One more. One more. Yeah. Okay. One I'll more. Then we gotta get to the music. I've had this here all the time. We've not set anything up, have we? No. Okay. Name. Don't name. Right. You can see a spade there. So whatever you do, do not mention the ace of spades because that's one thing that many people do and you were probably thinking it it's and then the next thing that a lot of people think of is the queen of hearts Ew, so we'll not go there no think of something entirely different name any playing card three of clubs the three of clubs what i'm going to do is open these trying to keep them very well not trying i'm actually going to make sure they're fully in view at all times mm -hmm. empty before we started I took these cards, okay? And you may find this a little bit strange, but I turned one card the other way around. And that one card only is. <laughs> I never understand how that's possible. The three of clubs, ladies and gentlemen. I don't get it, but I love it. It blows my mind. Oh, that's good. Seriously, no, because anytime I have to pick a card, like, I'm going to go for Ace of Spades every time. So I'm like, well, okay. Dad, isn't it? Ace of Spades, Ace of Spades. Yeah, that's, that's true. What, that's why I say don't pick that card, you know, like, mm. 
or like I always use the terminology like break spades, but we'll go off on another tree branch if we start that. Thank you for blowing my mind. I love that. That Thank was amazing. Thank you for having me on your show. And yes. I would please encourage all viewers and listeners to make comments below and share this far and wide, not just so it spreads my evangelical word of clear that shit out of your life and become yes. the best possible you, but also so more people learn and discover about uh, the show. Yeah. So many things that we can pull apart, and we definitely will later on TikTok when I edit all this down. But for now, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Like we said before, all the links you need to get a hold of Jonathan are right below, and that book is on Amazon for you. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, thank you. I'm it's all, been a pleasure. I always hate that the guests can't hear the music, but you always can when the episode comes out. I'll just bob my, he I'll just bob bob my head along as well. I can hear yeah. it. So Let's when it goes that. out and people see the video version, they'll think I'm hearing it. Oh, no, they won't. Exactly. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> Vitality Exposed Concert Photography. Don't forget to go check her out. Uh, she is bringing us, let's see, let's see, what are we playing today? Oh, we're going to play Unlike Pluto, one of my favorite tracks, Zoned Out in My Youth. Go download it now. I have it live on the Spotify playlist for you guys. And I will see you all in the next episode, okay? Love you to pieces. Thanks again. This is the Hoosier Media Network, your home for podcasting.